Welcome. Are you on? Can we hear you? Hi. How's that going? Is that That's all right? great. All I'll right. get out of your way. Thank you very much, Mark. Your invitation. Actually, I'm going to use this here. That's no, all right. I'll use this one. Oh, actually, yeah, I better use that one because it's got wires all over it. Can you hold that? Just feel free to speak into it at any time, you know, just yeah. say something profound if you wish. Well, most things that come out of your mouth are profound, so, you know, you, we'll be on good ground there. Just a couple of things uh, before we start. You can turn in your Bibles or your iPads, iPhones, other applications, Philippians chapter 2, Philippians chapter 2. Um, just a couple of things. Um, what was your name, my girl? Tabitha. Tabitha. Uh, the Lord says to you, it's time for you to use the words of knowledge and wisdom. Okay? It's time for you to use them. They'll be sitting in your head rolling around, but you don't use them. You, you stay where you're safe. The Lord wants you to use those gifts, all right? So when she brings words of knowledge, some of them will be about um, aches and pains in your body. Some of them will be about um, things you're going through. Some of them will be about breakthroughs in your work, all right? So when she does raise one or two of them for you, you get some prayer, all right? And uh, what's your name, my brother? Noel. Noel, good to meet you. You too, mate. You know, mate, every time I looked over at you, the Lord said the same thing to me about four times. It was a bit freaky, really. I have called you. He said, tell him that. I have called you. I want you, and this is the second phrase, I want you to help me change the world. Now, I don't know what's going on around there. I suggest you just say, yes, Lord, here I am. All right? It'll start small. You don't need to venture out too far, but you will have to venture out. God bless Noel. It, it, this is your wife, right? Currently, yes. Currently? <laughs> well, my strong advice is you hold on to this girl. <laughs> you, you may have, you know, you may really have need of her. Yeah. Because she has a, she's a bit quiet. She doesn't push things. But this girl is, she's got something. Yes, she does. She's not with you by accident. You knew that, right? Yeah. 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 She's like a little prophet to you, don't you know. Sometimes when she speaks to you, yeah. <laughs> but she's like a little prophet to you. So let her speak into your life, especially as you're listening to this call. What's the Lord saying to me? And she'll be a great inspiration to you in that. Don't be afraid. Get out there and do it. It's good to be alive, isn't it? Yes. Woohoo. Praise God. It's lovely. Praise God. So if you get a word of knowledge while I'm preaching, you have permission to put your hand up and stop me. So we're going to practice, all right? You're pretty bold, aren't you? Is this your husband? Wow. God bless you, Mark. With lots of patience. Ah. It's like a roller coaster, right? Mm. 
you know, the good thing about it is, you know, just the Lord just speaking to me now, is that, Mark, the good thing about you is that Tabitha needs a point of reference to which she can come. Yeah. You, you are chosen because you're right there. Yes, you are it. strong, and when she does all these things, you wait. <laughs> she will return. Yeah. She draws, un Mark, she draws strength from you, right? Yeah, very true. Right? You, you think she's, oh, she's got all the gifts, you know, oh, she does all this. But she draws strength from you because you are there. Mm, okay? Yeah. Is the Lord's working in your heart? to make you the kind of strong place through which to which she can come and from which she can go. God bless you, man. <laughs> yeah. Just, you know, just smile and enjoy it. <laughs> enjoy the ride. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, it's, it's a ride. It's, it's a ride. Philippians chapter 2. I might actually get this read before I get interrupted again. Philippians chapter 2. Verse 12, therefore, my beloved, isn't that good? My beloved. He's talking to you. My beloved. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as much in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. And do all things without complaining and disputing, that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. Hold fast the word of life, so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, or laboured in vain. Yes. And if I am being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. For the same reason, you alone be glad and rejoice with me. Lord, bless that word to us. Hallelujah. Because there's going to be some ministry, I will cut to the chase. <laughs> when you read in the Bible the word therefore, you are instructed to ask the question, what is that therefore, therefore? In this particular case, it requires to check what We've been what Paul has been talking about, and he has been talking about the obedience of Christ. The previous verses talk about the extent of that obedience. Who says the scriptures did not consider the glory that was his something that he would grasp and hold on to, but something that he would give up in an act of obedience to God? Nobody minds being called to obedience, but obedience unto death, now that is a call. And Paul 
reminds us that Jesus has been obedient unto death. And when he starts to say, therefore, he is referring to that obedience. No wonder Paul says you have to work that out with fear and trembling. Jesus was called, says Paul in the verses before verse 12, to an obedience that was unto death. Consider that, he says. Therefore, that being the case, that God has asked Jesus to be obedient unto death, because of that, that being the case, you work out your salvation with fear and trembling. So that's what that therefore is there for. When you consider the claim of what Jesus is making on your life, you can well say, you ask too much, Lord. But he has the right to ask this because he was obedient unto death. That's what Paul is saying here. That's what the therefore is there for. You consider the claims of Christ on your life, they are not unreasonable because he died for your sins. You consider these claims, he was obedient unto death, and therefore, on the basis of that, he has the right to look you right in the eye and say, I want you, I want you to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Now, when he talks about salvation, we, we must understand, of course, that he's not talking about the salvation of having our sins forgiven because there is no work that could achieve that. It's already been achieved. There's no work we do to achieve that. So we know that's not what he's talking about when he says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. We know he's not talking about that. He would never say to us, work out your salvation, work out the salvation that would lead to forgiveness of sins. He'd never say that. He doesn't believe it. Paul says that there is only one way to get saved. He says the law can't save you in another place. He said, in fact, if you try to be obedient to the law, it won't work. What it will work, though, trust Christ. Trust Christ. When you do trust Christ, you will have your sins forgiven. You will receive life. Now, when he says salvation here, we know he's not calling, talking about that. Work out your salvation. We know our salvation is only achieved by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We know that. That's nothing new to us. We know that to be true. We know he has achieved it. It is a gift now to us. So what did Paul mean when he said, given that what Jesus has done, how he was obedient unto death, work out your salvation. What did he mean by that? What work could you possibly do that would be consistent with this salvation that he spoke of? What work could possibly be relevant? Well, Paul, I think, was referring to the way salvation is supposed to impact your whole life. It's not supposed to be only a spiritual transformation from death to life. It's supposed to be about your moral life, your deciding life, your emotional life, everything. It's supposed to touch literally every area of your life. People are supposed to see, even in our physical bodies. Uh, let me just give you an illustration. Have you ever seen the difference in someone when they are filled with the Holy Ghost? Yes. 
because when that does happen, there is a physical manifesting of it. You see it in their bones. You see it in their smile, their face. You ever seen someone bound? You watch their eyes, and then you watch when the Holy Spirit has done his work, and their eyes have changed. They're physically manifesting differently. And so what I think Paul is talking about here is the way that salvation manifests in morals, in deciding, in decision-making, in emotional and then emotional responses, and then even in our physical bodies. The irony for me, as I read this, is that the divorce rates in the church are exactly the same as they are in the rest of society. The depression rates are exactly the same rate in the church as they are outside of it, and in some cases, they're greater. The abuse of children rates are just the same in, by people in the church as they are outside of it. This is a great judgment against us. Because in actual fact, we are supposed to be working out this salvation with fear and trembling. It is supposed to be impacting the whole of our lives. Now, let's be, let's be fair, we made a mistake. You know, in the early part of last century, there was a revival here in Victoria. Between 1902 and 1904. It was a revival that began amongst Methodist churches but spread across the whole range of churches. And one quarter of Victoria were affected by that revival, which was a lot of people, even in those days. 250 to 300,000 people were at those meetings. 1.2 million was about the, the total population of the state at that time. As a result of that, there was a church planting boom that left Victoria and went all the way up the coast into New South Wales and into West New South Wales and even reached up to Warwick in Queensland. It was a wave of God's salvation as people began to work out what it meant to be obedient to Christ. Remarkable thing, but it affected moral life, it affected Spiritual life has affected moral life, it affected decision-making, it affected their emotions, it affected everything about them. It was supposed to. Because if Christ was obedient unto death, Paul said, you ought to be working it out. It ought to be working its way out of you. It ought to be. You need to do this. Not get yourself saved. This isn't about getting your sins forgiving and getting God to love you more because that doesn't happen. He already loves you as much as he'll ever love you, which is a huge amount, more than you can I, and, or I can understand. So you know, this is a remarkable thing, but God says work out your salvation until its effects reach every part of you, until our societies begin to feel the effect of us being present in it. The stimulus for this application According is according to this passage that God, if you follow it, is working in himself within us so that we may reach this point where we will and act according to his purpose. That's what Paul is saying. Christ has died. He was obedient unto death. Therefore, you work out your salvation with fear and trembling so that you will will and act according to his purpose. And that's the, the flow of the argument in this passage. 
What God wants for us is to will and to act in ways which are consistent with the life he has offered. And he does that with, by asking, doing something and asking something. First of all, Paul says, he does his work within you. He is doing his work within you. He is doing that now. He is doing that tomorrow. He can be doing that while you're sleeping, working powerfully within you to fulfill his purpose in your life. But he requires you in order to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, to uh, cooperate with him in acts of obedience. Now, obedience doesn't get you saved. It's not about getting you saved. Obedience is the response, one of the responses with worship, that you make to what God is powerfully working within you. Is God changing me? Then obedience to what he's doing in me gets worked out in the decisions I make, in the moral standards I take, etc. Right? One of the great tragedies for the church since the Second World War is that we have become homophobic. We can have a very clear moral debate about that. I think the Bible's fairly clear. But the church has become homophobic and weak in her responses to the, these moral issues because we wink at the, the adultery in our own ranks. We overlook the sin of gossip in our own language, which is written in the same list of sin that are in the New Testament. We are not working out our salvation with fear and trembling. We're content to have a little bit of Jesus. And we've got to do more than that, says Paul. We've got to work out our salvation with fear and trembling for Christ was obedient unto death. The argument is quite irresistible. And yet we've done a good job of trying to resist it. So your obedience is very powerful. You know, whenever you obey Christ, whenever you obey Christ, there's a blessing in it for you. Not, not, not to get you saved, but there's just blessing and favour in it. Now, I remember as a boy, I don't know whether there's anyone else has been around the church that long, because I grew up in the church. I think I was three days old when I went to my first prayer meeting. <laughs> and if, if, I'm, if I think about it and I just breathe in, I can breathe in, because they, they used to have those pews. Remember those old wooden pews? You remember, some, of them, some of you folks might remember that. And they put so much lacquer in them. Remember that that, that lack, lack of, that I don't know what it was. It was kind of like a stain or something they put in it, and there was that smell. Yeah, it was, and I could still breathe in. You know, there it is. There it is. I reckon it was because my mother took me, put me in the bassinet, and shoved me under the front seat. Well, it's still, well, that's my theory anyway. She's gone to heaven, so I can't ask her for sure. But you know, it just seems to me that. Yeah, I've been around the church a long time. And my psychiatrist says I'm going to be all right. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm just going to be fine. Just keep taking the tablets. And <laughs> Church is a pretty crazy place, isn't it? <laughs> pretty crazy people. There's a value in obedience, though. Because I remember as a boy, we used to sing about obedience. You know, some of you remember it? When we walk with the Lord. In the light of his... Yes, I was coming back to you. We sing these Bethel songs now. You know, I mean, it's so different, aren't they? And then it's trust and obey. For there's no other way to be happy. Oh, gee, it takes you back, doesn't it? You almost, 
You're almost right back there in the 19... whatever it was. It was ages ago. Some of you are saying, really? Was there human life back then? Yes, there was. Paul says that there is a need for us to work out our salvation and he explains how to do that. He says, God is working powerfully within you. Just go with it. When I tell you to do something, just do it. Don't try to be smart. Don't, don't try to reinvent something. You know, don't try to be clever. Just go with it. With what I'm doing in you, if I tell you to love someone, just love them. If I tell you to trust me, just trust me. If I tell you to go out, then go out. If I tell you to ring someone, then ring them. If I tell you to write to someone, then write to them. If I tell you to text someone, then text them. If I tell you to stop being so full of yourself, stop it. I think that's kind of covered a lot of us here in the room this morning. So what's one, one of the things that I think the Holy Spirit does say to us from time to time is, you are so full of yourself, stop. Just let me live in you. Uh, uh, cooperate with me. So this cooperation becomes very important as we move forward. Paul says that this idea of working out your salvation is so that you is this act of cooperating with what he is doing. God is working powerfully within me, says Paul. I'm going to cooperate with this and I'm going to walk in that. I'm going to obey him in that. And that's going to bring me to the place where I've worked out my salvation and it's starting to pop out in various areas of my life. And it did start to pop out. When he wrote to the Galatians, he suggested that people who didn't agree with him should go and emasculate themselves. But dealing with the same people 15 years later, he had a very different attitude because God was working in him. Listen, some of you think that you've got to get the whole lot. No. Just relax. Let the light dawn on you. Let the light dawn on you. You ever been awake when the sun is just coming up? Gradually, the darkness flees. Doesn't it? It just gradually goes. This is what happens with you when you work out your salvation. And you, as you continue to flow with what he's doing, he just lights it up. And when he tells you to do something, he tells you to do something. Now, I'm going to do this right now. Um, young couple up here, little boy, is it? Yeah, I'm going to bless him. What is his name? Arden. Arden. Wow. And what's your name, brother? Russell. Russell, congratulations. I guess we should thank your wife too, eh? <laughs> what's your name? Belinda. Belinda. God bless you, Belinda. Well done. One of the best things you, you do have is to bring a godly boy into the world. We honour you for that. God bless you. It's important for us to bless this boy. Father, in obedience to you, I bless Arden. I release your favour on him, that he will grow in the grace of the Lord and be strong. This boy will be known. This boy will be remembered. For he's fearless. He's stronger than you realise. He's determined 
And he is able to do what I have called him to do, says the Lord. The Lord bless you, Arden. The Lord bless you. Remember this boy. Pray for him. Pray for him. Don't forget to pray for him. It will be important. God bless you. Ah, oh, thank you very much. We have fruity rings here for <laughs> <laughs> I, Ah, okay. The fruity rings. Yeah, we get some good stuff. Is this good stuff? I don't know. Is it? Yeah, when I see all the healthy people are going. Ugh. Yeah, I thought that was a communion way for for a minute. But no, I thought, well, gee, there, these catalyst people are really amazing people. All right. God bless that. Just remember to pray, and um, we thank God for that boy. Mm, okay. Well, you got my point. Obedience, right? The best value in obedience is always blessing in it. There is always reward in it. Always reward in it. Why Christians don't realize this, I have no idea. But you do need to work out your salvation with fear and trembling by obedience. Right? It's, it's just that. You've trusted the Lord. He is doing a work within you. Only he can do that. You can't do it. You can't add anything to what he's doing. And in your obedience, you're not adding anything to your obedience. You're actually working it out in real life. Does that make sense? As you obey him, it works out. As you obey him, it starts to influence the way you make decisions. It starts to influence your emotions. Some people here in this room have been so used to letting their emotions go everywhere and when the Holy Ghost says, Oi! Hold on! Shut up at your face just for five minutes. Wait! We go, oh, it can't be God. No, no, no. Listen, your emotions are important and you, can, you have a good bath in emotions every, every now and again when you need it. But when God starts to talk to you, he might actually say, Wait! Don't let your emotions run away with you. Hold, hold, wait, stop, pull your head in. Some of us are so proud and arrogant. We just go ahead and say what we want to say to whom we want to say whenever. Because I reckon it's true. We are so full of ourselves. We are so full of what we think and that we're right. You know, I tell my students, I teach worldview. I teach worldview. That's my job. Isn't that fun? I teach worldview. I have atheists in my class and I lead them to Christ. It's wonderful. Here's the worldview. But when you talk about, uh, talk about worldviews, you've got to admit something. And this is what some, all of us in this room have to admit. We are both right, partially right, and completely wrong. All at the same time. Yeah. Do you know, I said to a Catholic once, and I was reminded of this, because by David Pawson, a teacher I value, David Pawson had said it once, and I said it to a Catholic, I said, you know, I envy you Catholics. And he said, why? He said, because you've only got one infallible Pope. We've got millions of them. We've got people who claim that they're this and they're that, and we ought to be listening to them, and they're right, and everyone else is wrong. We cannot work out salvation, our salvation if we're arrogant and full of ourselves. And so Paul says you need to work it out with fear and trembling. 
Because this work that God is doing on the inside of you has to come out in the rest of your life. You can't just say, well, God's doing this work in me and everyone else will just have to put up with me. It's not good enough. He wants us to work it out in our lives. And so our emotions and our decisions and our minds and our habits and our, our relationships and the way we treat one another all has to change. As this work comes in, he does it, he saves, he, he begins to change. And then we work that out by obedience in all the areas of our life until, until light comes out of us. The sound man has turned me off because he doesn't want me to speak anymore. Sorry, is that right? Am I okay? All right, all right. I got a loose game. How's this? <laughs> it's going to cramp my style a little bit, but I'll try anything once. Okay. It's back in. All right. I'm just going to put it in my pocket. How's that? Am I doing all right? There is a little phrase in this passage which is problematic. <coughs> so if, you know, we obviously love problematic phrases. Verse 14. Do all things without complaining and disputing. Okay, well obviously this isn't a scripture we need to take too much notice of. <laughs> We in the church like to complain and dispute, don't we? Hmm? Yes. Maybe not. Maybe. It's an interesting phrase because he, he's, he is a, urging us. He, he begins at verse 14 after making the, establishing the principles in verse 12 and 13. He, he, he introduces the, the application of it and he starts to say that there are certain behaviours that impact on obedience. And he begins in particular with complaining, murmuring and arguing. He begins with those things is the very good reason why. Complaining, ur urge, uh, murmuring and arguing. I actually don't believe this verse refers to the way you complain and murmur and argue with each other. Because, and, and the thing that... The, creates the, the issue for me is that the word which is translated argue here and murmur is actually taken from a Greek word which means to inwardly question. I actually think this verse fits better in the context when it's talking about this work of God done on the inside of me, powerfully working within me, than me working that out in fear and trembling and learning to obey. I think this is the more natural point at which Paul is saying, when you get the Lord's instruction, don't murmur and argue against it. I think that fits, fits the context far better than the, uh, the dealings we have with one another. I mean, okay, arguing and complaining and murmuring against one another, that's problematic, I know that. But I think in this context, you've got here, there's that Paul says, when you're beginning to work out your salvation, your flesh is going to start to scream at you. 
And you're going to say, no, I don't want to do that. No, I don't want to do that. No, I don't want to do that. And you're going to complain. Why does God want me to do this? Why you know, Why does God always ask this of me? I'm just sick and tired of being used and abused. I'm just sick and tired. There's a lot of sick and tired people in the church. You can tell because they, they have this, oh, God always asks it of me. <laughs> do you know, it's a, a remarkable thing how God always seems to pick on you. Isn't it? And, and yet if you ask another Christian, they'll say exactly the same. God's always picking on me. I would love to say that I haven't had slappings from the Lord. I'd love to say that. In fact, I've had so many now that I begin to wonder. I said, and I said to the Lord, not very long ago, I said, Lord, you, you're still slapping me. You're still dealing with me. And his response was very simple. There are still things to be dealt with. So I said, Lord, why do you do this? Just give me some understanding. Why do you do this? And he says, I'm not doing it to show you up. I'm doing it to raise you up. Now, that takes a little bit to get used to because we usually scream like stuck pigs whenever God starts to challenge us about our behaviour. People in my life and ministry have always said to me, listen, if I ever say something that, you know, is not appropriate, feel free to just speak into my life and challenge me. They are the very people I don't want to do it with because those folks, they always, in my experience, argue back. I don't know what it is, but, you know, you you remember you told me I had freedom to speak into your life and, well, I'm going to do that now. Go ahead. I tell you, it's, it's a remarkable thing. Hopefully one day we'll all reach that place where we will really allow someone to speak into my life. I remember when someone first started to speak into my life, I resented it because I thought that guy was a pinhead. I did. I was judging him. And when I was about to open my mouth to say, well, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard, the Holy Spirit whispered into my heart, he says, you Mind your mouth, because I've spoken through him. I learned a good lesson that day. Sometimes folks are going to come up to you and say, the Lord says, and you're going to say, I just want to punch him. <laughs> just be really careful. It could be the Lord, you know. Weigh, weigh it up, all right? Don't reject it first. Weigh it. That's much better. I think what Paul is saying is he's knowing that the big problem for believers is they're going to murmur and complain against what God is wanting to do and what God asks them to do. And so we need to learn how to do all things, how to obey him without arguing and murmuring against him. I think that's what this verse means. I think we all know the feeling when the Spirit of God starts to indicate something in our lives. We start to struggle against it. And the inward murmuring against the will of God is, in the opinion of the Apostle and me now, very dangerous. Watch this in your life. If you go murmuring and complaining against the Lord, it will have an immediate effect on the working out of your salvation and the amount of light that comes through you. There's light that comes through you. There is. Some people can see it. I've had people who are um, what, what you would call new ages or cosmic humanists. 
who will come up to me and say, who are you? And I say who I am. And they ask, are you religious? I said, why do you ask? And they said, because there is light coming out of you. I've had that. And you would too if you met some of these folks. They're, they can pick up light. They just can't produce it. You can't produce light unless God's doing the work on the inside of you, right? And you're obeying the promptings of his spirit to work it out. What happens to the light when you're completely oblivious to any, anything God says and you don't work it out? The light remains a blessing for you, but it is nothing to anybody else. And you're not called just to be saved. You're called to serve as well. There's a whole lot here that you can think about perhaps when you get into your, your Bible studies and it leads to this point that you may become blameless. Think about that. Is it possible that I may become blameless? Yes. Not only is it possible, it is God's immediate intention. He wants you blameless. He wants you pure. He wants you without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights. This was always his intention. If I had time, I would take you on a journey through the Old Testament and uh, through the prophecies concerning Israel and then Jesus because the point was God wanted light in the world, a light that they would, people would hang around and get. People would say, ah, Yes, that's why I believe in God. That's why there's a God in heaven. I see it in Mrs. Jones down the road, in Mr. Smith next door. I see it in shining like the stars. You are meant to shine like the stars. Meant to shine like the stars. You are meant to shine. Light is supposed to come out of you. It's not your light, is it? Because Paul has said, the, the working of God comes into me and works power. He's working powerfully within me. He's like those little generators. He just strikes up and then you obey and the light starts to just generate. You ever see those? Remember the old days when you, remember the old days, I've said that twice now. You know, you used to get on the push bike and the, there used to be a little um, dynamo, yeah. And you used to put the dynamo on the side of your tyre. You remember? And then you'd ride along and that little dynamo would get going. The only problem was when you started to ease off. You know, if it was really dark, you had to keep pumping those pedals because you couldn't see anything. Those little dynamos are powerful now. Really? Well, I thought they were. Just think about this. God is working in you. He's powerfully working in you, like that dynamo, working in you to work out his purpose. And the more you obey him, the more that light starts to come out of you. You don't actually make it come out of you. You're simply obeying him. When he says, do this for me, you do that. When he says, pull your head in, light starts to come out of you. When he says, go and visit that person, light starts to come out of you. When Go and speak to that person, light starts to come out of you. Go and encourage that person, light starts to come out of you. Right? Right? You understand? 
You're working out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is working powerfully within you to will and to do his good purpose. This is one of the best passages of the New Testament. The yielding and obedience to God makes incredible differences because they transform people who know about Jesus and who have received light to becoming people who are now bringing light into the world. And I'm not just talking about preaching the gospel, although I am talking about that. I'm talking about anything you do. Do you know anything you do can transform somebody else? Remember Bill Hybels telling the story that one year his best evangelist bringing people to Christ was a 35-year-old single lady and all she did was bring meals to people who were struggling and she'd just love on them. And she brought 35 people to Christ in one year. It was just light coming out of her. Light coming out of her. And we make lots of excuses for this. God, in his word, uses phrases about you and me, about the church. He says, you are to be without fault in a crooked and depraved generation. You are to shine like the stars in the universe. You are to hold out the word of life. You know, if this is not possible, why does he say it? Why is it in the Word of God? It is possible. That's why it's in the Word of God. It's possible for you to hold the Word of life out to somebody else. It's possible for you to shine like the stars in the universe in this crooked and depraved generation. It's possible as the working of God generates this within you and you obey him, you work it out in your life. And as you're working it out in your life, you're just working it out, stumbling sometimes, making mistakes other times, but the light starts to come out of you because of the working that he is doing so that he fulfills his purpose. It's a remarkable passage, isn't it? Normally I would go a lot slower than this, but I'm going fast today for what we've got to do in a few minutes. If shine like the stars comes down to any, comes down to decision-making and real life, then it's got to look something believable. Our faith is not an otherworldly faith only. It's real blood and bone here and now. Truth has to be worked out in real life. And frankly, you look at the modern church and it looks pathetic in parts. Do you? Sorry? Okay. My wife says, do you want to take the rubbish out? <laughs> I actually say to my wife sometimes, no. Okay, she says, let me ask it another way. Take the rubbish out. <laughs> okay. Anyway, that was just a freebie that I threw in. Anyway, it's got to be real blood and bone here and now faith. And I think we look pathetic if our faith, if, our, if the truth we've received does not make sense in real life. I remember reading the story of about five years ago, a young man was driving over the I-35 bridge uh, between the two halves of Minneapolis, Minnesota. 
As he was driving along over the bridge, the Lord told him, stop. And he learned enough to know to stop. He pulled the car to a halt in his lane, immediately stopping the flow of traffic in his lane. And people honked their horns and yelled abuse and swerved into the other lane. And moments later, the bridge, about 15 metres in front of him, snapped. And cars went over the edge. And as the young people got out of their car and started to realise what had just been averted, they thanked that young man for his obedience. He just heard God say, and he did it. Shining like the stars is not about meditation and it's not about becoming super spiritual and it's not about becoming a giant, a giant spiritually. This is about you obeying him, the Lord Jesus, as he prompts you. And as you do, you work out your salvation and light is the result. I think that's what this passage means. And I think that's what this passage is a challenge to Catalyst because you guys want to be light to this area. You guys want to be light. You, you guys want to be light and you want to be a strong light in this area. You don't want people missing the fact. You want there to be such, so, so much light that when people drive past this school on a Sunday morning, they're going to wonder something is happening there. You want the light to be so strong in your house, coming out of your house, that when people walk into your house, they'll say, something is here, but I just don't know what it is. Uh, you want light so that when you go to your workplace, something is happening around you and nobody understands it necessarily, but they're all liking, they're, they're sensing it. And it all comes down to these simple acts of obedience. And I'm asking you whether you want to be super spiritual or whether you want to work out in real time, real blood and bone, here and now stuff, whether you want to work out by your obedience this powerful work that God is doing in you. Because I think that's what this passage talks about. This is not about being super spiritual. This is about working it out. This is about working it out in real life, real time, now. now. You're going to make some decisions about this. Some of you have been tinkering around the edges with Jesus. Some of you have added a little bit of Jesus to your life. It's not going to work. You're just frustrated now. Think about how frustrated you're going to be in another 12 months. If you're sitting on your bum in this church doing squat diddly and you have still not got satisfied in your own heart and soul, and you're not working out your salvation with fear and trembling, you imagine how frustrated you're going to be in 12 months. You don't want that. You want to break through that. You want to say, if God is doing this powerful work in me, then I've got to start to obey him. I've got to start to listen to him. I've got to start to practice doing what he says, working it out in myself, working out my salvation in every area of my life so that I begin to shine like stars in the universe. You get it?